John chapter 19. Uh, first, a prayer. God, please help us receive and understand what you have given in Scripture today when we read this. Starting with Jesus' sentence to be crucified. Chapter 19. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged. The soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head. They clothed him in purple robe and went up to him again and again, saying, Hail, King of Jews. They slapped him in the face. Once more, Pilate came out and said to the Jews gathered there, Look, I am bringing him out to you to let you know that I find no basis for a charge against him. When Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, Pilate said to them, Here is the man. As soon as the chief priests and their officials saw him, they shouted, Crucify, crucify. But Pilate answered, You take him and crucify him. As for me, I find no basis for a charge against him. The Jewish leaders insisted, We have a law. According to the law, he must die because he claimed to be the Son of God. Well, I want to pause right there because I was, when I read that, I thought, Where's the law that somebody has to be killed because they claim to be the Son of God? And so I just looked in scripture to see what it said. And it, you know, it's, um, are according to the Jewish, um, law. And it said, um, anyone who would claim to be the son of God would be called a liar is what it says in the Jewish law. So I wonder why they, you know, jumped from a liar to he must die. Just a question that I have, but anyway, getting back to the text, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid. And that's another thing. Pilate is afraid. So Pilate's conscience or spiritual influence maybe is getting to him. Like he knows something is not right here. You can see from what he did. I mean, um, when I was reading about flogging, which is whipping, they, it's, I guess there's an opinion out there that says that um, Pilate took Jesus and had him flogged to buy some time. And maybe that's just uh, speculation on why he did that. But it does seem, as we read this text, according to the book of John, that Pilate has hesitancy in charging Jesus with anything. In fact, he said he has no basis for a charge. So he's saying to the chief priests and their officials, um, you take, you do this, not me. I'm not going to do this. And then they were just very insistent. And then you also have to think about the things that Jesus was saying to some of these people that um, when he was in confrontations with them and he was telling them that um, they are, that basically they are not, um, their father is not God is what he was basically telling them because he he was saying, because you listen to your father and you want to kill me. So they are either highly deceived and following someone. The only thing I can think of is that it would be Satan because um, I don't know who else would be, you know, Satan is the father of all lies. So if there's a deception over people and they're believing a lie, then it has to be Satan behind it. So just something to think about in context. I mean, Scripture interprets Scripture, and the more you read Scripture, the more things become revealed. And that's exactly what I'm sharing right now is what 
past scripture that we've read already has indicated. Getting back to the scripture, when Pilate heard this, he was even more afraid and he went back inside his palace. Where do you come from? He asked Jesus, but Jesus gave him no answer. Do you refuse to speak to me? Pilate said, don't you realize I have power either to free you or to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. Therefore, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So if we stop right here, Jesus is telling Pilate, basically, the only power that you have is because it's within God's will that this be done. Jesus knew he was going to have to be the sacrifice, and he knew it was God's will that he would have to die on the cross to break this curse, to satisfy the law, because God is just. So he's telling Pilate, you know, you the only power you have is because God gave it to you, and this is within his will. Uh, but he's saying, you know, the one who handed me over to you is guilty of a greater sin. So I don't know. It's uh, obviously it's Judas that turned him over to Pilate, I, I presume, but um, I don't know how it could be. I, I don't know. I don't know about Pilate and how God would treat that. I guess he was involved with it, but it seems like he doesn't want to be involved with it. Okay. Getting back to scripture. From then on, Pilate, Pilate tried to set Jesus free. But the Jewish leaders kept shouting, if you let this man go, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who claims to be a king opposes Caesar. So now they're like, not only, um, I mean, they are, if you want to say hell bent on uh, crucifying Jesus, because first of all, they're saying, you know, he's claiming to be the son of God. So we're going to kill him. He has to die because of that. And then next they're telling, they're, you know, trying to sway or manipulate Pilate saying, hey, uh, he's against Caesar now. And so they're just looking for everything they can possibly do. They are really trying every way to make this happen. And that could very well be true, that they were being inspired by demonic influences and being deceived by, you know, thinking they're doing the right thing, but truthfully being deceived by something demonic that thinks that if I this if Jesus is killed, that's the end of everything, and um, but not knowing what would actually happen in, when, this, when this occurs. Getting back to Scripture. When Pilate heard this, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judge's seat at a place known as the Stone Pavement, which in Aramaic is Gabbatha. It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Uh, this is another thing that's really interesting about the feast days. And of course, I I was not raised Jewish, so I don't, I'm becoming more familiar with all the feast days. And the um, anyway, Passover, obviously, we know about from uh, when Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, and there was an angel that was sent that was going to be killing children, the firstborn. And the only way that they would be protected is if they put the blood of the lamb on their doorpost. And this was all symbolic, showing the future 
that Jesus would do. Jesus is the lamb, symbolically. We see that in Revelation. Jesus' blood, his death on the cross, is what is saving mankind, just like the blood on the door at Passover was the blood that saved the people that were inside, the the ones who were God's servants. They saved them from their firstborns being killed. It was a plague that went through the town, um, but it was you know done by an angel. And and again, this is where the test of faith is. So the people that put the blood on the door trusted God, believed in God, and were thereby saved. The same thing happens with. Jesus. When you trust Jesus, you believe in Jesus, and you rely on his sacrifice, the blood of Jesus on the cross, to make it possible for us to be in eternity, we will be saved. And Jesus, you know, he said it so many different ways. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. All of this stuff makes sense. But getting back to the scripture, it's talking about this is the day of preparation for the Passover. Isn't that interesting that Jesus is about to be crucified and it's right about Passover time and Passover time was the time that they put the blood on the doors. And it's just, you know, the way God works, like he's bringing together these these actual events that were symbolic, but also if somebody later on, you start seeing, wow, these are related One is symbolic of the other. And that's what scripture does. Like scripture interprets scripture. So getting back to the scripture. um, It was the day of preparation of the Passover. It was about noon. Here is your king, Pilate said to the Jews. But they shouted, take him away, take him away, crucify him. Shall I crucify your king, Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the chief priest answered. Finally, Pilate handed him over to them to be crucified. The crucifixion of Jesus. So the soldiers took charge of Jesus. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There, There they crucified him with two others, one on each side and Jesus in the middle. Pilate had a notice prepared and fastened to the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this sign, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and the sign was written in Aramaic, Latin, and Greek. The chief priests of the Jews protested to Pilate, do not write the King of the Jews, but that this man claimed to be the King of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. I put a little asterisk by it in my Bible um, because at that point I'm wondering, you know, was the, was Pilate then saved? You know, when he believed and he believed that Jesus was the Messiah, um, that he was from God, and it it seems to me that Pilate had some sort of revelation in his interactions with Jesus and wanted no part of of this. Um, so just kind of interesting. Um, Getting back to scripture. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, divided them into four shares, one for each of them, with the undergarment remaining. The garment was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. Let's not tear it, they said to one another. Let's decide by lot who will get it. 
This happened that the scripture might be fulfilled that said, They divided my clothes among them and cast lots for my garment. That is in Psalm 22, verse 18. So again, here's another connection between the Old Testament and the New Testament. So the Torah and the New Testament, there's a connection. And Jesus is fulfilling, like he said many times in scripture, that he only came to fulfill the scripture that was written about him. Jesus is all over the Old Testament, and um, you will find that when you study scripture. Jesus fulfilled so many of the prophecies, uh, well, all the prophecies about the Messiah. And I guess the only thing that still remains is Jesus's reign on earth, where he is ruling the kingdom, which is coming in the future. So um, most of it he has fulfilled, though. So this is what the soldiers did. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother there and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to her, Woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, this disciple took her into his home. This is, again, another reference to to John himself. He speaks in third party like that in his scripture, but he's uh, basically having his Mary saying, you know, this is, John's going to take care of you. And uh, again, this is another funny moment, not funny, but um, about John who refers, he was very close to Jesus. And he he said, and the disciple whom he loved, Um, like we talked about before, he and Peter seemed to have this competition the, between the two of them. And John indicates that he feels like he and Jesus were very close to one another, like he was his very best friend. And um, that's another reason why I like reading the Gospel of John, because someone closest to Jesus, you will know the more intimate moments, the, you will have more insight the closer somebody is to a person. Getting back to scripture, the death of Jesus. Later, knowing that everything had now been finished and so that scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. This is a huge, very important line in scripture. What Jesus's last words were, it is finished. He did the father's will. He accomplished the goal. The goal. He put an end to the curse of death for all mankind and made it possible for all of us to be in God's kingdom, to be in eternity with God by what he did on the cross. There's nothing else that has to happen. Jesus made it possible. That doesn't mean that every single person gets into God's kingdom, but only those who are obedient to what God had taught. The only, what Jesus had taught when he was here on earth, he taught and what God gave as the commands. None of those laws went away. People talk about there's different interpretations. 
And I don't believe those from everything that I read in scripture. I don't like to affiliate with any denomination because I don't know if any of them are even correct about interpretations. But with scripture, if we read scripture, I believe scripture is true. And there are multiple entries, um, just like in tradition, there were two or three witnesses to establish truth. So within scripture, we can usually find two to three witnesses, two to three different people who can support the same thing. And that's what I rely on as the basis of truth. I don't like to follow man-made rules, man-made religions, but to look at scripture. What is the truth? All I want is the truth. I'm not interested in other things than the truth. And so that's another reason why every time we read scripture, we should pray that God will give us wisdom, that God will give us understanding of what we are reading. And we are seeking to know the truth when we ask God for that. We're not, we, we want to know, we're, we're humbly going to him to say, please help us understand what we read. So um, when Jesus said it is finished, Jesus is the only one who is who could have done that sacrifice for us. You know, even the most righteous person to die and say, I'm doing this for everybody, that wouldn't work because as mankind, as human beings, we are sinful. Sin is in our nature that we were corrupted back during Adam and Eve when when they chose to Uh, go against God and disobey him, that's when sin entered. Sin is basically disobeying God's commands, and that's exactly what they did. And then they, at that point, became cursed. And there was something supernatural that happened, I believe, at that point that made it where all of mankind was cursed from that point on, because we all were, came from Adam and Eve. And uh, anyway, there's there's preparation that we need to do to um, believe in Jesus, to follow Jesus. So Jesus said, if we love him, we will obey his commands, his father's commands. Um, so that's how we show that we are following him. We are disciples of Jesus. A disciple is a student of a teacher, and Jesus was called rabbi, which rabbi means teacher, So these are, um, anyone who is following Jesus is a disciple. And if you are following someone, you you don't, with anything that you learn, if you don't put it into action, it's useless. So if you learn something through scripture, through what Jesus taught, you need to put it in action because Jesus didn't just teach it just to make up stuff to say, oh, I'm going to give them these requirements to do these things or that's, that's ridiculous. He's telling us the way of life, the way life will be in the kingdom of, in God's kingdom. And it's, it's up to us now to kind of absorb that. Like, um, look at what Jesus said, look at the life. I mean, everything is, is just what he says and his commands aren't that stringent when you look at that. And if you understood, if when we understand fully, we see that everything is good that he's telling us to do. 
But with the external influences that we have and the world culture that we have, which is so against Jesus and the teachings that he brought in mainstream, it's just the majority of it all. It's, it's very anti-God. And when you start looking at what God, what the, the values that God and the morality that God gave to everyone. So it's, it's very important to know Jesus and to know what he taught because that is preparation that we need to do. Like I said, and like the, not I said, but like scripture says, not everyone is going to be in the kingdom of God. In fact, even people, Jesus said, there's going to be, and this is one of the scriptures that really concerned me when I read it, was at the time, I guess, of, of judgment or when Jesus interacts with the, with the people that they're coming to him. And, and they'll say, but Lord, Lord, you know, I've done all these things in your name and I've done all this. And it's more like reciting all of these religious acts that they've done. And Jesus looks at them and says, depart from me. I never knew you. So we can be a fake Christian without realizing it. If we are not in prayer and in scripture, how can you be connected if you don't communicate with God? If you're not connected with God, um, how are you how are you in a relationship? If you don't talk to somebody and you don't communicate with somebody, you don't have a relationship with somebody. A relationship with someone is ongoing communications. It's and that's what God gives us. God gives us scripture for that. And and we also have prayer where we can go directly to God with anything in our life and he wants to hear from us. So those are things that we have to do as people here. If we're not doing that, we're not in Christ. We haven't if we haven't repented of our sin, if we're still hanging on to sin that we know we're doing in life. If we're still like cognizantly just a, saying, I know it is, but I'm going to keep on doing it because I can't stop. I mean, that's a lie, number one, because if you want to stop any kind of sin, any kind of sin at all, all you have to do is go to God with it and ask God for forgiveness of it and ask God for the power of the Holy Spirit to overcome it. God never, he's, he doesn't want people to remain in that. God wants people with him. So the only thing that we have to do with any kind of sin that's that's troublesome to us, and everybody has different things that they struggle with, but anything that anyone has can be forgiven. You go to God and you ask for forgiveness and you ask God to help you live your life the way he wants you to live according to his will. That's all we have to do for preparation. Jesus took care of the really hard part of being the perfect sacrifice on the cross that makes it possible for us to be in God's kingdom. Getting back to scripture. Uh, Now it was the day of preparation and the next day was to be a special Sabbath because the Jewish leaders did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, 
bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth, and he testifies so that you may believe. These things happened so that Scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And, as another Scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So, not one of his bones will be broken is a reference to Let's see, that is Exodus twelve forty six, Numbers nine twelve, and Psalm thirty four twenty. So those are all Old Testament or Torah references, I guess except maybe the Psalms, but um so that's again showing how Jewish law, Jewish books, not law, um, but the Jewish books, the Torah, so, you know, Jesus fulfilled what was written in the Torah. And then they will look on the one they have pierced is a reference to Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. So these are prophecy that was fulfilled in Jesus's passing and getting back to scripture, the burial of Jesus. Later, Joseph of Arimathea, I don't know, Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who had earlier had visited Jesus at night. Okay, Nicodemus was the one. It was back in John chapter 3 that was described where Jesus and Nicodemus were having that discussion that said was about eternal life. And Jesus said, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born again, born of the spirit, born of the flesh and of the spirit. And Nicodemus was the one who had come to him at night, probably again in fear, just like the other one where no one wants to say that they're connected to Jesus because of what's happening. They There's fear in all of these people. But Nicodemus he had to believe what Jesus was saying because here he is present or or maybe feel guilty. I don't know. He's But he's there to be of service at this point when Jesus is taken off the cross. So Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus's body, the two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen This was in accordance with Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. That's the end of chapter 19.